0: Sometimes love triangles can be deadly. Sometimes love squares can be deadly. What happens when it becomes a pentagon?
1: You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott.
0: It's Old Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And we are here with your weekly dose of historical true crime, going back to a time when uh, they called it the good old days, but uh, maybe they weren't so good. So <laughs> before we get started, as always, don't forget about our Patreon, patreon.com slash we where at the $5 level, you can get access to bonus episodes both our weekly we call them old tiny crimeys they're like maybe a, a third of the size of a regular episode they range from like 20 minutes to uh, we just recorded one that might close in on like 35 40 minutes and it was that
1: was <laughs> an adventure let me check for the everyone time. let me check the time on that one that one was 44 minutes wow yeah so... that's before like adding the intros and everything
0: yeah, so, so they, they definitely, I, I, I sometimes worry about that old, tiny, crimey designation that people think they're super small, like five minutes. No, they're, they're, they can, we tell a full story. It's just stories that aren't big enough. There's not enough info for a full episode. So we make it uh, a
1: smaller one. So. Think of it as a Tic Tac made of concrete.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: there you go. Oh, so,
0: yeah. miss
2: TJ.
1: I miss TJ. <laughs>
0: And then we have our monthly bonus episodes. of There too, where we do something a little different each time. Next month, I will expand the anticipation. We are each going to read one third of a very fascinating book and then bring out the most interesting events and cases from it. So uh, we will reveal maybe what the book is in the coming weeks. You don't have to read it because we'll tell you the good stuff. So there's that. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you use. It really, really helps us. You can't imagine. Just go and tell us what your favorite vintage true crime is. I don't think they're actually reading them except to make sure you're not swearing and using filthy words. So (laughs) you don't even have to give us high praise. You can just go and say, Albert Fish, (laughs) and give us five stars. And merch. That's oldtimeycrimey.com redbubble.com Christmas is coming you know a true crime fan get him a little something special like a shower curtain that says I listen to filthy words and has a knife on it so that is all of that you guys want to talk about uh, a lady who could really reel them in
1: please I I (laughs) am lacking in my daily dose of tits
0: <laughs> oh, this was one Madeline Obenchain. Now she was born Madeline Donna Connor, and the thing is, when she was bo- she she did that thing, and it's okay if you did that thing too. It's all right. But she did that thing where you change your name when you're like a young adult and you're trying to find yourself. Should you change the spelling around? I screwed around with my name, and like I can remember in in high school doodling K R Y S T Y
1: to see how it looked. The stupidest thing I did, I devised a way of writing my name that it was the same if you looked at it from the top or the bottom.
0: That's actually really cool, Uh, but I'm a dork, so other people might also think
1: it's stupid. Yeah, it was. It was a waste of four hours. She
0: had the traditional spelling originally, and she changed it to M-A-D-A-L-Y-N-N-E. So she... She kind of switched that around. She was born in 1893 or 1891 or 1895 or 1897. She gave the newspapers a lot of different ages and dates, as far as that was concerned, in Superior, Wisconsin. Uh, At some point, she lived in Fessenden, North Dakota, for a while, where her father operated a hotel and was also mayor for several terms. He seemed like he was quite a, a member of the community and also had he had some money. Madeline's mother left him at one point. He and they divorced. He shipped her off to a bunch of expensive boarding schools, but she also seemed to live on and off with her mom, who re- remarried when Madeline was about nine. If we go by the, we're going to go mostly by the 1893 because that's the, the date I saw the most. And then Madeline got a new baby, baby half sister when she was uh,
1: 13. That's disgusting. I, I prefer whole sisters to just a, like a torso with arms
0: see in my mind it was split vertically
1: you know what if you're lucky you get a torso with arms no one wants to give birth to a pelvis and legs
0: you know what though
2: Christy's way if it was split vertically that would be a lot easier to give birth to like half a torso and one
0: leg That's true. yeah a lot easier
1: that's true Amber
0: coming in with the mom experience here
1: now wait is the side sealed or do the organs just fall out
0: Uh, well she lives so
1: sealed okay okay (laughs)
0: Madeline was said to be a decently talented musician. Uh, She ended up going to Northwestern University. It was uh, a little, I was surprised uh, by this, but Northwestern was founded in 1855 and actually became co-ed in 1869. Can you guys believe that? It's a good year to go co-ed. Right?
1: I bet, I bet there was some guy, some angry old white dude up in the thing going like, Goddamn vaginas all over my university.
0: I, I love the way that they phrase this. Uh, trustees voted that women could be admitted, quote, under the same terms and conditions as young men. Now that might just be from like Wikipedia's article on Northwestern, but I, I don't know if it's direct from them. But I love that it's terms and conditions like terms and conditions may apply to your admittal to this university. So at Northwestern, she met two men. One of them was Ralph Obenchain. He was pretty, pretty good in school. He was president of his law school class and went on to become a lawyer. She also met a man named Arthur Birch. He ran track, his father was a minister. She really mostly ran with Ralph Obenchain, and she would hang out with Birch whenever Obenchain didn't really have time for her. He was he was definitely her second string boyfriend, if even a boyfriend he could be called. She was known as this was everywhere in like every article, quote, the prettiest girl on the Northwestern University
1: campus. I really doubt that. I bet she was fugglier than a Keebler elf.
0: She she had a certain something, a certain quality. I, I, I wouldn't, I would never have said, I know beauty standards have changed and it really doesn't matter, but I would never have called her the, the, the prettiest person in a room, but she definitely had a quality that you could see in her pictures. That's not quite beauty, but you could almost see a certain charm or charisma. So, and other friends also called her vivaciously coquettish
1: vivaciously <laughs> coquettish
0: i know right well, that's so-
1: somebody got a dictionary or an encyclopedia or something with words in it didn't they
0: <laughs> they really did so she's kind of in this love triangle both these men are you know asking for her hand when uh, her father died in 1914 he left her 50 $50,000, uh, which would be $1.3 million today. So you're giving this 21-year-old 20, woman $1.3 million. A trust. I'm, I'm just saying a trust is a good idea.
1: Mm, that's a lot of
0: money. That's,
2: that is a it, lot of money.
0: It is. So uh Obenchain proposed in 1915, but they were fighting and arguing, and pretty soon that was broken off.
1: I like how I like how Obenchain was described. He was the well-knit president of the senior law school class.
0: I like well-knit. Like, what does well-knit mean? Like, right.
1: I'm just picturing the bad guy from any 80s college comedy.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I feel like you're definitely right. He's definitely going to like chase down a 12-year-old on the ski slopes. Mm-hmm. Get those
1: yeah, nerds. A- no. <laughs> and they'll be
2: Okay, I feel so bad for Ralph.
1: I really do. I like, don't he, he was a lawyer in training.
2: He was, but he was a really good catch. He was he was handsome. He came for money. Lawyers he are has- the
1: raisins of humans.
2: But you know what? This is this is a
0: long time ago, so they weren't really that bad back then.
1: Uh, I...
0: Also, Scott, there's got to be some gray areas in humanity. We can't we can't say that the rule applies to everyone. You're every right.
1: single. I, I I bet you're right. There's some probably some really good pedophiles out there.
2: No, like I have friends that are (laughs)
0: lawyers.
2: I have friends that are lawyers that are perfectly lovely and like they actually are like good people and do their job well where they're trying to like help people, not hurt them.
0: I mean, think about the fact that there are lawyers, you know, working for, let's say, the Innocence Project or its many, many offshoots in various states. Are they horrible human beings who are trying to get people out of jail who've been wrongfully convicted and stuck behind bars for, for decades?
1: I don't like lawyers, and that's where it stands.
0: <laughs> lawyers are the raisins of people. That's right. <laughs> <To> Scott. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so Madeline took her newfound wealth and decided she was going to go traveling and shopping, for, basically, for three years, which... I would that's that's exactly what I would do. I would I would I would give a, some to charity. I would put some, you know, invest it so I can't touch it and so I can grow, but I would definitely take at least some of that money and go on a shopping spree in Paris. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's happening.
1: You know what I'd do with 1.3 million dollars?
0: Buy a murder like a castle. <laughs> Buy a, a murder, murder th- castle. <laughs> a murder castle full of transformers.
1: The Christie's got it. Yes. <laughs> Christy wins. Yay. I think we can just say we all saw it coming.
2: I, gonna, I want partial credit.
1: <laughs> you get partial you credit. definitely yes. get partial credit.
0: So after this little travel shopping spree, she went to L.A. where her mother had settled. And there she met one John Belton Kennedy, who she frequently, he, he seemed to just go by Belton, which, okay. Uh, he was an
1: insurance broker. That relationship that's, that's so convenient because he can take out his own life uh, life insurance policy <laughs> on himself.
0: that is that is true. Now this relationship was different from her other ones. It seemed like she had the power in all of her other relationships. And this one she didn't. Uh, his mother was really determined to keep them apart. And that seemed to cause a lot of rifts. He was reluctant where no man had ever been reluctant to, you know, propose marriage to her. And, you know, still eventually he did ask her to marry him and she said yes. But basically his family just kept on gumming up the works and he kept on canceling the dates she would set and disappointing her. And after two years of this, she was like, I'm going to go back and see what's back in the Midwest. So she goes back and she's back in Obenchain's orbit. And he is a lawyer at Aetna. He's, he's very, making a name for himself. And she also becomes friends with Birch again. Uh, he's married with a kid at the time, but he's still drooling all over her. And she's still writing back and forth with, Kennedy and trying to get him on board with the idea of marrying her and actually having a wedding. So this is very much a web that she is both I I feel like she's both spinning the web and then also managing to get herself stuck in it. And this
2: So, like okay, so I think one, she's obsessed with him because he doesn't really want her in the way that all the other men chase her is a challenge. But also, do we think that Belton's gay? There, that was there brought are up a, in a couple
1: places. Yeah, there are a few hints here and there that he was gay, and this is the twenties. You know, it was it was rough for just a peon to be gay, much less you know somebody with with his background and standing.
0: Yeah, I think it, it, it could go either way. I, I, I do kind of take umbrage with the idea of, well, if he didn't want her, he must have been gay. No, there could be people on this planet who aren't attracted to Madeline Obenchain. It's certainly possible.
1: There's, there's <laughs> certain women out there, like, I'm just not attracted to, that everybody looks at me and goes, what? Like, Liv Tyler, Angelina Jolie, they hold really no attraction for me.
0: Jackson and I have had that discussion about about people where like I'll find somebody attractive and he's like what are you even talking about <laughs> you know but Then again he's also compared me to Natalie Portman so I'm pretty sure he needs to get his eyes checked like
1: No you're like an attractive Rachel Dratch
0: I don't know if I can even get on board with that with the
1: attractive part <laughs> Have you I seen don't Rachel have any Dratch problem with- <laughs> Rachel Dratch is not that attractive I mean she's funny that makes her kind of cute but you're like an attractive Rachel Dratch.
0: Okay, I'll take it, I think.
1: It's a compliment.
2: <laughs> okay. See, like, you. I never know. So Marcus says I look like if Madonna and Uma Thurman had a love child.
1: We always thought you looked like Madonna whenever you were, whenever you were younger. But this was like Madonna after a bath. <laughs>
2: But like when he says that, I'm like, I don't, I don't know that that's a compliment. No, like, have you
1: seen pictures of Madonna lately? If he's talking Madonna lately, it is not a compliment. That woman looks like she's halfway to becoming Rocky from the Mask movie.
0: Give her some credit. She's got like 30 years on Amber.
2: No, but she, she's like Jack. Like she could kick my ass. That woman's right. had
1: so many facelifts. She blinks with her lips.
2: Let's go back to Madeline <laughs> Obenchain. <laughs> <laughs> A woman who hasn't had so many fl- faceless, she blinks with her lips. Yes.
0: So she is. Okay, I got it. Now I got to figure out where the hell I am. Okay. So <laughs> in the middle of all of this craziness, she's she's tormenting all these men. She heads back to Cal- California. Open Chain actually follows her, giving up his job at Aetna. And. Meanwhile, she gets back with Kennedy, but the marriage thing is still a no-go. So Obenchain Jane proposes, and she's just tired of the marriage being put off and put off by Kennedy. So she's like, fine, I'm just going to go marry that guy. If you won't marry me, I'll marry him. And then the very next day, the honeymoon has barely even started. And she tells him, you know, Belton will always be number one in my heart. Belton Kennedy, that is, to clarify which, come on, honey. <sighs> so, within four days of their marriage, she's back to canoodling with Kennedy. And Obenchain's like, all right, that's fine. I'll go back to Chicago and I'll give you a divorce. Here's alimony that is in the modern equivalent of $1,200 a month. Oh, oh you, you need some more? Here, have some blank checks. And later in court, he would be called the human doormat. Oh,
1: my and God.
0: He was also called because of his, his, his actions that we'll get to the man in a million because only one man in a million would do what he did. So, but we'll get there.
1: The human but, doormat. Jesus, might as well call him old micropenis. <laughs> yeah,
0: right? So they went from wedding to divorce in 18 days and Madeline is back with Kennedy and he's like oh yeah we can, we can finally get married now and she gets her hopes up again there's a Times report uh, that states she puts men gently aside when she tires of them and they yield with a smile of pain when she wants them again they throw aside careers, freedom, everything in answer to her nod and we're going to see that come true multiple times here So except Kennedy, he set a date once again, June 1921. They were supposed to go off and get married. And then he bailed on her yet again, just over and over. And he's just like, get the hint. And she's like, no. And so she is starting to get a little frustrated. So she sends a telegram to good old Birch from, you know, back in her Northwestern and her Chicago days. I have two different telegrams that were sent. And, okay, so one is, I need you and your friend I had last summer, and it is signed, it's signed Goddess.
1: Jesus Christ, somebody has <sighs> a high fucking opinion of themselves. Right?
0: And then another one is, things look bad here, come at once, Madeline. So she's little in distressing it pretty hard with him, and... Now some sources say that he deserted his family for this, but actually he had been his wife had sued for divorce the previous year. So she stated that he had abandoned her and their toddler son and cited extreme cruelty in the marriage. So not great. Nope. So we get to August 5th, 1921. Madeline and Kennedy are out on a date seems like kind of a, seems like a really nice day. They go to a beach resort and and spend some time there in the afternoon. They come back a little late. They were going to go to the country club for dinner, but it was actually closed by the time they get back, so they go to his family's cottage in LA. It's what was then an isolated suburb, they call it. Some places even call it rustic. And they're Going up the stairs, and I, I actually, I guess they went there for the, the specific purpose of finding her, her lucky penny that she had buried there. <laughs>
1: <Jesus> <laughs> it is the Christ, a lucky penny.
0: Flimsiest excuse that ever flimsied.
1: They just throw another one down the ground. There it is, honey.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> because the thing is, is, is it. We'll find out. He didn't even have the keys, so they're not out there to go into the cottage and, you know, like, have some fun or even spend some time. No. They're just there specifically for the lucky penny.
1: Hey, baby, ever fuck the hood of a Model T?
0: <laughs>
1: <So>.
0: <laughs> they're looking for this Model Penny late at night. He bends down, and there are two shots fired. And, now, supposedly he didn't die immediately. He... Was as he was dying, he said, good night, Madeline, which uh, that's from her, and I don't believe it.
1: That sounds like a whole bunch of bullshit, doesn't it?
0: I think that's what she imagined he would say. Yeah.
1: What he so, said was, ah! Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> She claims that she ran to him and held his hand and said, Belton, speak to me. For God's sake, speak to me. And again, this feels very much like as she imagined it. Uh, He died at the age of 26. Only one of the two shots actually hit him. The other one went into a tree, hit him in the back of the head below his right ear. Uh, Other words heard by people in the vicinity were, I got him in a man's voice, uh, a woman's voice that couldn't really be made out, and then some indistinguishable whispering.
1: Probably stuff like that is going to be one hard thing to mount. And uh, (laughs) wonder what that's going to taste like on the grill. Stuff like that. (laughs) Oh, God. Just so our
0: listeners know, this doesn't actually lead to cannibalism. And it's sad that I have to specify
1: there have been cases that led to cannibalism. I know
0: that. I That's like why I said it, it's
1: bad. I like to call it culinary respect for the dead.
0: We, <laughs> we were having Thanksgiving dinner, and since it's an untraditional Thanksgiving, we pulled up in front of the TV and watched the cheesiest horror film we could find on Hulu. And, uh, yeah, there was, there was cannibalism at the end. I was like, I- I'm, I'm glad I finished eating. <laughs> was it Trolls too? No, it was Pilgrim. So, a, a, a family invites pilgrims into their home to have a super traditional original Thanksgiving, but the actors um won't break character. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> it's how it's described. So yeah. Hmm. So yeah. There's no there's no cannibalism here. Uh now. Some sources say that this was not reported to police until early the next morning, even though it happened around 9.30 or 10 p.m. Instead, she ran out to the main drag. She found a guy who was driving to work. She pulled him back to the cottage. And then I guess there's nobody bothered to go to the police until the morning. And just this, I couldn't find exactly where to fit this, but this was... This was brought up, especially in the newspaper reports, as uh, like kind of questioning whether it was related. Four years prior to this, he had actually been accosted by two men in the street who just beat him, like, badly. It, it, it's not really related, but it was brought up because it was like, were these same people after him? Was he involved in something where people would be after him? That was kind of the idea, never really floated, but kind of implied. Two men were seen fleeing in a car just after the shots, at least uh, according to Madeline and possibly some witnesses. And at first she said they were dressed roughly. So poor people and... uh, (laughs) Commoners. Commoners, plebeians. Uh, Later that shifted to uh, add the additional descriptor, foreigners.
1: Oh, I'd yeah. laugh if they were Native Americans, you know, yeah. foreigners. <laughs> yeah. I say we fill up the Bering Strait and charge them, them Native Americans a buck ahead head to go home.
0: So when the cops came, they found a couple of things. They found some tire tracks that were quite distinctive and not found on any car in the neighborhood, They found two 12-gauge shotgun shells uh, expended near the body. They found some signs that someone had been hiding in the bushes near the cottage, some broken branches. He was still had his wallet with $56 in it. He was wearing a couple of rings. There was jewelry that wasn't taken. He was carrying important papers. They hadn't been touched. And they also found a gun next to his body. But it hadn't been fired and was said to actually be his own gun that he carried. So Madeline is taken into the county jail and kept there as a witness, probably because they were just trying to find some evidence to charge her. And they're they're asking her all these questions. And the one thing that really a lot of their suspicions seem to hinge on was the fact that she couldn't explain how anyone else would have known where they would be. Hmm. Yes. So, and again, we have the age discrepancy and all the the every article I was reading, I was like, "What the hell is her age?" Because like one says that she's twenty, another paper says she's twenty-four, but if we go by the uh, you know official record, she's twenty-eight. So I think she was telling the cops and everybody different ages. So that's what I think.
1: She probably uh, she- couldn't remember.
0: who remembers their age she told the cops her her history with kennedy and that she was going to marry him but you know his family kept getting in the way and they put it put the whole thing off and they were like well what about your your recent husband and she's like oh he supports this whole relationship he just wants me to be happy and he thought kennedy would make me happy and interestingly when they contacted her family or when this came out in the papers one of the two her own mother and sister didn't even know she was in town So she asked to be taken back to the cottage and she said, oh, I might be able to find something I might remember more, but nothing came of it. And they even, they looked for the penny. (laughs) (laughs) The cops looked for the damn penny. That
1: penny ain't fucking there.
0: (laughs) There's no goddamn
2: penny.
1: (laughs) It's the one place on this fucking planet that you're not going to find a penny (laughs) on the ground because who the fuck even bends over for a penny anymore? Homeless people. That's it.
0: And uh, the the thing is, though, Kennedy's own father did report that, at least as he knew, Madeline had buried a penny in the, the, the yard around the cottage sometime the previous year. So he was like, at least as far as he knew now, whether he was just getting that from the news reports and then assuming that that must have been why they were there, because he was the one who came forward and said he didn't even have a key. He had my son hasn't had a key for two years. I don't know why he would have even been there. He must have been there looking for the lucky penny. So it could have been a case where he fit what he was reading about the case into his own memory and assumptions. So we really don't know about but it's a stupid penny. (laughs) So, And then you have the detectives pouring over letters that she wrote to Kennedy that the family supplied. So that must have been fun for everyone. Fun for them, not fun for her. I'm I'm learning from our uh from our shows. Just burn everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but even that doesn't work cuz some, sometimes they go uh they bring in these pesky little investigators.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It was discovered as they were starting to investigate that someone had rented a room at a hotel across from Kennedy's office. Starting around July 24th, right up until the murder, and when this person checked in, he told the clerk he would, was going to have a cousin stopping by occasionally. So they're looking around, this you know, for this mystery cousin, a person who had actually called the, the hotel as well. So they they said she had a feminine voice, and the hotel employees were like, "This dude was weird. He spent all of his time." sitting and watching the office across the street in a room that he specifically requested had a view of that office. As
1: opposed to us who just sit around maniacally watching the office. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So he only left once that week, or I guess it was about two weeks, and it was the night of the murder after he got a message that had been phoned in and left with the clerk. It was a female voice, Person identified himself as the man's cousin, never gave a name. And he then left with a long parcel wrapped in newspapers. And uh, then it was about a yard long, they said, and came back around midnight. So this is Birch, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're now on the lookout for him. On it wasn't August. him, it was a lucky penny. It was the lucky penny all along. They find him on August 7th on an eastbound train. He's described as wearing a Palm Beach suit and a straw hat. He was traveling with one.
1: <laughs> Being conspicuous. dressed like a commoner, they said. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wear a shirt so loud people will ask me to turn it down. And a hat. <laughs> that people in, in the fucking Bahamas would look at and go, that's that's too much.
0: <laughs> well, the thing is, is that he he wasn't being inconspicuous at all. He was traveling with some companions, and actually, it looks like a Palm Beach... I have no idea. A, a Palm Beach suit might be more light-colored, like, along the lines of, like... Oh, wait. I found a description on AskAndyAboutClothes.com <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Well, let's ask Andy.
0: Let's ask Andy. Um, There is the answer Um, The Palm Beach suit is a term Used to describe the combination Of navy blazer Button down Oxford cloth shirt Stone colored chinos or khakis And brown slip on mocks Like top siders worn with no socks That is a user named Dorian Gray on askandyaboutclothes.com In in a thread there But somebody else refers to that As a California tuxedo (laughs) So I think there's some questions even on the the site.
1: Either way, way, it's got to be like trying to sneak into a compound with a marching band. It's just not going to fucking work.
0: Guys, I can't even believe that I'm about to read you this from a men's fashion uh, thread. but somebody says, I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree. And another person replies, suit yourself. Oh,
1: fuck. (laughs) More punishment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, it it seems like it's some sort of a suit. uh, But yeah, he's being the life of the party with these. He's traveling with a man and two women. He was telling jokes. He was making all this fascinating conversation. And when he's arrested, he tells the cops, that's very interesting, but you've got the wrong man. I don't know why I went pseudo British there, but I did. (laughs) He said, I know Madeline, but that's all he would give them at the time. But the cops were like, he was he was just laughing and chatting. Again, life of the party, everywhere he goes, whether it's a, a train in his Palm Beach suit or the paddy wagon in his Palm Beach suit. Um, and telegrammed his family to let them know what was up. His family was contacted for comment, and they're like, uh, he just went to LA on vacation. He definitely couldn't have had anything to do with this. No, no, not our son. Uh, his father was actually a pastor and a financial agent, for Northwestern. And he said, of course my son could have nothing to do with that terrible tragedy. It is true he did go to Los Angeles about two weeks ago and he was a college friend of Mr. and Mrs. Obenchain, but that would not have anything to do with it. Cough, you're wrong. Cough.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't and, trust pastors either. <laughs>
0: Now, there was an interesting thing with the tickets as far as the train was concerned. He had a round trip ticket from Chicago to LA, and he was on the return part of that that ticket. Now, Madeline also had a round trip ticket for the same route, but she hadn't validated the return part. So, it kind of looks like she may have said, "Come out here with me," and then Take care of this and i'll go back with you and then didn't it's it's possible uh she insisted she only brought him out to have company in los angeles and that it was totally platonic she said arthur and i were very good friends at that time yes i sent for him to come to los angeles but i did it in the same spirit i would oh these newspapers I would send for any friend. I knew he was having family troubles just as I was having, and I thought he could find better opportunity for work in the West. So she said, well, we weren't really good friends, and
1: then later we were good friends, but I just brought him out here out of the kindness of my heart. Let's not shit on the papers too much. One newspaper described Madeline's look as uh, that she uh, maimed the look of a dying antelope.
0: Oh, <laughs> that is beautiful. Yeah, it's it's not it's not necessarily the newspapers. It's sometimes the copies, uh, because they're bringing up copies from eighty years ago or or a hundred years ago. Actually, they're, there's just spots where it's hard to read. Some yeah. of them are cl- unbelievably clear, and some of them are faded at the edges or faded altogether, or just have like blank spots where somebody spilled their coffee.
1: Like it's, or, I get the feeling. I get the feeling. Uh like with the way the reporters put stuff down and the newspapers that we've read on the tinies and, and stuff like that. And even in the main show, sometimes most of the really catty gay guys must've got into journalism.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I love it though. My yeah. brother would have been an excellent journalist. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> yes. Absolutely. What are we going to say about him? Oh, I'm going to say that he, he uh, had a fucking, he was a human doormat. Oh, what a bitch. You know, it's,
0: I think he was actually called that in court. So maybe yeah. he was a lawyer. Yeah, he actually
1: was. Uh, there was another one. Let me see if I can find it here really quick. Where somebody re- ter- referred to him as a male tower of mush.
0: Well, I mean, that's all. You don't need to find it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. good. Wow. Jeez. Uh, so it, the, the cops here, they're looking for two things that they're missing. They're missing the weapon. And they're kind of missing the motive it's the motive starting to come together as they start kind of piecing these things together and talking to people oh i got your and motive women right women right and so they start canvassing pawn shops and gun stores as well as apparently you could just rent a gun what i wish we could still do that one one newspaper said they were going to gun rental shops.
1: Yeah, you didn't rewind this 40-06. <laughs> that would be an extra 50 cents.
0: Yeah, that, that weirded me out a little bit. But uh, they, you also had Madeline receiving a letter delivered to the hotel for her with $85 in cash. And she was like, oh, Birch just borrowed that and he was paying it back. We, we we do that all the time. I lend him money when he needs it. He lends me money, et cetera. And finally, the hotel owner is like, you know, that cousin sort of looks like that Madeline Obenchain, but with a different colored hair, like maybe a wig. Because she had visited him at the hotel, but in disguise. And Birch actually admits, yeah, yeah, Madeline was who I said was my cousin. And the funny thing is he had to assure the owner of the hotel that he would leave his door open. Apparently, like having members of the other sex visit at this hotel was frowned upon. Even with his cousin, because I'm sure a lot of people had cousins that came to visit them. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, you know, fourth cousins, I guess it's okay.
0: Yeah, so a little bit more starts coming out from birch he mentions that he got a telegram after which he rented the hotel room and would get visits from her in a wig and they actually contact mr they contact open chain for comment and he says this is a statement guys I always loved my former wife. I love her still. No matter what she may have done, I will stand by her always. She has only to send for me, and I will go to her side as fast as a train can take me. I hope she will let me help her in this, her hour of need. Now, this is a lawyer. Somebody who's probably got to be careful with their words at times. In the middle of all that is, no matter what she may have done, anybody else think he knows... (laughs) She's she's involved in this. <laughs> it seems like maybe. I mean, in the middle of all this, I love her. I'll stand by her. She only has to send for me, no matter what she may have done.
1: <laughs> it's just picturing like bringing. Oh, she fucking did it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pretty much. That's kind of what it says. So it implies that at least. So, and Madeline is like, yeah, yeah. That that help. That help. You you could bring that out here. Uh, any time now. and But, you know, she, she says she has a theory about the murder. I believe Belton's death is to be traced to his connection with a girl in this city. She would never say a name, but her theory is that this girl was infatuated with Kennedy and either she herself or she had some minions murder Kennedy. That's the, her theory.
1: Those little yellow fuckers.
0: but she she would never say so if you if you are potentially going to go up on a murder charge they're looking at you with suspicion of murder and you have a theory that involves a specific person you're like no i should never allow that name to cross my lips no say the name say the name bitch do it say my name do it yeah they they search her belongings and they found some poems that she admitted to writing to. Oh
1: Jesus Christ. I've read some of these.
0: Yep. Mother. Here f- is Fucker. Here is how one ended. At last it all is over. Your life on earth is done. I will go to the Glen in Twilight and watch the darkness
1: come. Hmm. There the uh the newspaper is even published some of her poetry can i read another sure yeah oh darling boy of my yesterdays if you but only knew how even now my hopes and plans hold no one else but you i'm sorry i returned here for my heart will surely break but if you said i couldn't forget you to come back dear for your sake oh my does
0: anybody else have the name of the neighborhood where the cottage was?
1: Ooh, let's see. Here.
0: I didn't write it down, but I feel like it's Beverly Glen. Yes. It's that Beverly Glen. Familiar. It's, uh, I will go to the Glen in twilight and watch the darkness come. That's a little. <laughs> so she said that these. These poems meant nothing. She's just, you know, scribbling a little bit while
1: bored. You know bored. what,
2: though? Yeah, I saw that in one of the papers that they were saying she was writing
0: poetry with a cipher in it. Oh. That could be part of the, it. All are part of the cipher.
2: Yeah, Although, they, they didn't really explain the cipher. They just said that she was she was writing him with ciphers in it. And I bet that's exactly what it is. Like, maybe every, like, fifth word or something was what he was supposed to do.
0: Oh, man. Now I want to pour over these.
2: Which, Don't do that. It, it would be like looking for a lucky penny.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's just going to be like spelling mistakes all over the fucking place.
0: Yeah. So they find out. Uh, somebody comes forward and says, hey, the night of the murder, guy came and rented a car from me. You and might want gun. to look into it. <laughs> yeah, right. Bob's car and gun rental. from you your this car? <laughs> so he was said to have taken the car out at 7.30 p.m. and returned it around 11 p.m. Used the name of a relation of Birch's for uh, the rental. This was his only relation in the area. And so this guy comes forward and says, yep, Birch, that's the guy who uh, who rented this car for me. So they take a closer look at the car, and the tires match the tracks found leaving the cabin.
1: Dun, dun, dun.
0: Which, it's, it gets even more specific than that, because three of the tires had different treads, so it was a very unique match.
1: Yeah, that kind of fucks you, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, that fucks y'all hot. So I guess look at your tires. Uh, so this is interesting. This is probably, I think, some of the most modern investigation that we get uh, so far on almost any of our cases that I can think of. They did a deep sea dive for the gun in Santa Monica.
2: Yeah, that does sound way fancier than any of the other cases we've really done. Yeah. Most and of them the thing, were like, yeah, there's no gun, whatever.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, they put this all together because they looked at the mileage on the rental car. And they were like, okay, driving from the point of origin to the murder site and then back to the point of origin, we have a little extra left over. So they were like looking at routes from the murder site to different coastal areas And this particular spot in Santa Monica matched exactly that you could drive point of origin, murder site, Santa Monica Beach back to the point of origin. And they were like, there we go. Boom. And so they go and they do a deep sea dive that I thought was that's damn
1: good. (laughs) That is that is impressive.
0: Yeah. And another weird thing was that Kennedy's mother had been followed by that's Amber. (laughs) 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 <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and Amber, and no, Kennedy's mother, had been followed by a mysterious man and woman the day of the shooting. Yeah, it was a little weird that his mother was followed around. And then it gets even weirder. Kennedy's father, that's Marcus, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> revealed that Kennedy... Now it's weird saying it. It wasn't weird until I made the... It's that's been weird the whole day for
2: me, so I'm, I'm glad it finally got weird for you. That, I'm sure. This
1: is my fault.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like when I listen to a podcast and they have somebody, like a, a true crime investigative podcast, and they have somebody with my name in it, and I'm like, no, I don't like it.
1: Oh, I've got one better. I've got one better. I was, uh, whenever I lived in Minneapolis, I, there was this newspaper called the City Pages. The, it was like the free newspaper, right? And it would tell you everything that's going on around town. And they were talking about up and coming musicians, right? And I'm, I'm sitting in my bed in my apartment and I'm reading and then they go, and Scott Mort, who has been making quite a stir, and it's like, and I almost fucking threw the newspaper. It was so fucking weird seeing my own name whenever I wasn't <laughs> expecting it. That is weird. <laughs> and they were talking about me. Fuck. <laughs> that is weird. Oh, gosh. So.
0: Kennedy's father said that his son had actually been talking about being worried about dying for a few days before he, you know, actually was killed. And at first he said, quote, this is, uh, this is Belton Kennedy speaking. I don't know why it is, but I have a feeling that something may happen to me very soon. I guess I won't live very long, but I don't want anyone to worry about me, end quote. And his father was trying to get it out of him. Like, why are you so nervous? And finally, he's like, okay, well, I saw Madeline at a hotel, and she fell to her knees begging me to marry her. And then she begged me to give her my gun so she could kill herself. Quote, Belton, you marry me or I will kill myself, but I won't hurt you.
1: I'm going to give everybody out there a little tip. Anybody says marry me or I'll kill myself, you got to trust me on this. Just let them kill themselves. You don't Run. want to go into you don't want to go into a relationship with somebody that says "marry me or I'll kill myself,"
0: and then ends it with "but I won't hurt you." Yeah, everything after "but" is bullshit. I'm
1: going to <laughs> yeah, relationships are fatal. People like ask Phil Hartman. <laughs> oh, you can't. Oh. No, I'm not making a joke. I I am absolutely not making a joke. Like, I miss
2: Phil Hartman. I do Thank too. You.
1: I do too. But that was the first time, whenever I saw Phil Hartman, that was the first time it kind of hit me. Oh, yeah, relationships can be fatal.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it seemed like Felton Kennedy had some real reason to worry. He had even gotten an anonymous note. It was uh, handwritten. It said, your life is in danger. And it was just signed, a friend. It wasn't signed, goddess, shockingly.
2: <laughs> well, but- there's that, at least. <laughs>
0: Who sent that note? I just, ah. whoever could it be? Honestly, I go to Open Chain, that's where I go. Yeah, so, um, so grand jury convenes, they have 30 witnesses slated to speak, and Madeline is still insisting on her innocence and Birch's, and she's really hardcore on this whole. I love. Belton Kennedy. Her statement was, I knew Arthur Birch was coming to LA and I knew that he had taken rooms at the Russell Hotel just across the street from where Belton Kennedy had offices, but I knew nothing about Birch's connection with the case. Throwing him under the bus. And I believe him to be absolutely innocent. It is is not true that I had broken up with Belton, although I had previously tried to sever the bond, which had tied us together. I loved him even while I tried to quit him. I still love him. I will not bring my relatives or friends into this tragic affair. It is deplorable. I do not care what happens to me. My interests are dead. My hopes are buried. My life's joys are ended. Swoon.
1: My uterus has hardened like tough calamari. (laughs)
0: so the grand jury did indict them both for murder on august 11th things are moving quickly here this is less than a week after the murder and that was before the stock of a double-barreled shotgun was found in the ocean off santa monica by i believe by the divers but they weren't quite specific about that but it seemed like it had to be so they find that and then like, the next day, there's some people at the beach at Santa Monica, and they find another gun, a 12-gauge shotgun. So, like, what, just people just leaving guns all over the beach? They're fucking giving them away. <laughs> they don't even need to rent them. Just go to the beach. You'll find a gun. I you're, promise.
1: Here's what you do. You just go down to the shop. Tell them you forgot your wallet. Give them somebody else's fucking name. And just take the gun. Whenever you're done with it, just toss it. It saves you a trip back
0: So a pawnbroker Was able to identify one of the guns Although it's unclear which one As the gun he had sold to a man Between July 25th And July 28th I just picture a
1: pawnbroker going Yep that's a gun (laughs) Yep
0: (laughs) And if you remember uh, Birch Went to the hotel July 24th So it seems like there was a plan there and he was setting it into motion, or at least preparing in case it needed to be set into motion. So, or in case somebody wanted it to be set into motion.
1: Wink. Yeah.
0: So uh, Ralph Obenching comes out to see his ex-wife and see what he can do to help her. And interestingly, Birch's father came out as well, and they were on the same train. <gasps> I found that fun. <laughs>
2: I I got stuck because when you said Birch's father came out as well, I'm just imagining everybody coming out of the closet wearing their fancy suits.
1: We're going to get we're going to get jobs as reporters.
0: (laughs) So and Madeline had this to say about her husband. I have always thought a great deal of my husband and his character and unselfish devotion. Well, ex-husband, whatever. He is a very honorable and upright person. The reason I wired him to come when this trouble occurred was that I didn't want him to humble himself by coming to me of his own volition. I deserve to humble myself by asking him to come. I will have the highest esteem. Yeah, I know. I still have the highest esteem for Ralph Obenchain.
1: Now, she's in jail at this point, right? Yes, she's in jail. Yeah, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Ralph Obenchain. She, she wires an SOS to Ralph. He immediately, I don't know what kind of magic pussy this woman has, but Ralph immediately quits his job, rushes to Los Angeles, and tops it all off by getting a marriage license and asks to remarry her in the county jail. Yeah, yeah.
0: He, 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 he's studying the state statutes to be admitted to the bar because he's going to be
1: one of her defense lawyers. That's going to go just so well.
0: Yeah. yeah, you
2: know. but like, he, Seriously, her pussy must be made, made of magic. That's uh, the only thing I can figure. I
1: swear to God, this woman's head work must be fucking credible. Thank God a judge <laughs> went, no, you're not going to fucking marry her in jail. Fucking weirdo. Get the shit out of here. <laughs>
0: And so did the sheriff. So this was definitely like put down. But here's the scene, okay? So he goes and gets the license. Interestingly, he gets it under, of course, his name and her maiden name, which she she was still Madeline Obenchain in the paper. So I don't know what she was legally at that point, but that's kind of funny to me. And he heads straight for the jail. He meets up with Madeline. his ex-wife slash fiancé, apparently. And then Birch pops in for a bit, and at one point is seen on his knees begging Madeline for something, but nobody knows what. Anal. (laughs) (laughs) So at first, they're supposed to be tried together, and like I said, is is preparing to head up the defense team. He's a civil attorney, too, so uh, he doesn't know the statutes. This isn't his kind of law to practice. His defense will be that she loved Kennedy too much to kill him. This is this is his. Her ex-husband, who again wants to marry her and, and loves her apparently more than anything in life. And he's like, well, she just loved that guy too much.
1: What did this woman's tits look like? I know, right?
0: He actually is admitted to the bar. But before the trial can start, the attorneys are trying to get Birch declared insane Birch is not on board with this. He says, I defy them to prove that I am insane. This insanity bunk makes me tired. I love the way they talked back then. (laughs) Bunk. That's a bunch of bunk and I'm tired. That's hokum, you hear me? Hokum. (laughs) So... The court rules him sane, and the defense is like, well, you say that, but we're going to go with the insanity defense, so whatever. And then they get on to choosing... They separate the trials, and they get on to choosing the jury for his trial. Now, this... I couldn't find the exact makeup of the, the jury in the papers. I was able to come pretty close. It was probably nine women, two men, and then one man or women. So it was largely women, which is surprising to us. But in the book Murder in... Where's my sources? Murder in Hollywood, Solving a Silent Screen Mystery, which is actually about the William Desmond Taylor murder that we covered many episodes ago. Um, And then it references and discusses this in relation to that, this murder in relation to that one. Uh, They say that standard practice back then, in Hollywood especially, for high-profile cases, was to get what they called club women on the jury. These were, quote, women who admired actresses like Mary Miles Minter and Mary Pickford because they represented decent, old-fashioned values.
1: I just found a swimsuit photo of Madeleine Obachain. I don't see what the deal is. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So, and the DA is also asking, or the prosecutor at least, if the jurors might be compromised by, quote, a false sense of sympathy or chivalry by reason of a woman being implicated. So, this is, again, this is Birch's trial, but Madeline is being brought into it a lot. So, it really feels like no matter how much they tried to separate the trial, she's still on trial. (laughs) So they the trial starts they take the jury to the crime scene uh they probably all looked around they were like do you see a lucky penny anywhere one of them probably saw a penny and picked it up and was like nobody saw this right
1: holy (laughs) shit! it's a fucking nickel god damn it (laughs) i wanted superstition and i got five cents actually i think you won out like if you wanted superstition and said he got a, a five cents Congratulations, you've come out ahead. Yeah.
0: So, now there is a ton of evidence in the testimony and in the physical evidence that we've already discussed that implicates Birch. The neighbors uh, of the cottage identify him as the guy watching the cabin before the murder, and they identify him as a guy seen driving around the neighborhood while investigators were literally searching for clues. Get the fuck out of town. Yeah, he's like, oh, let me just go and check that out. Returning to the scene of the crime. Come on. Jesus
1: Christ, mistake number one.
0: Yeah, but
2: it's a mistake that is often made.
1: So much so that it's a cliche.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. I actually once got arrested because I was at the scene of what was a crime the day before. I had no idea. But they had thought that I was returning to the scene of of the crime. And I was like, who the fuck does
0: that? Like... (laughs) It's like there's this insatiable curiosity.
1: I think it's a thing where people return to the scene of the crime to see what's going on to make sure that they're not arrested.
0: I mean, I think that's part of it. And I think another part of it is that curiosity of, oh, I did a thing. That thing is dominating my brain. I have to go back and see it. Or sometimes for some people, for some particularly sick people, it's a thrill. It's a thrill and it's, it's remembering the, the, the crime, which is, is what, you know, keeps them, keeps them going. And what they and if they are people who actually enjoy committing crime, you know, people with sociopathy and, and psycho- psychopathy and all those things, you know, actual like serial killers, people who are like, I look forward to my next killing.
1: Take a <laughs> cell phone video, people. It'll last longer.
0: <laughs> and can be evidence.
1: Make sure to upload it to your Facebook
0: yeah. <laughs> The guy at the hotel does identify Birch as the man who rented a room and stared at Kennedy's office all day. And then they bring in the medic for the county jail, who's like, yeah, when they brought Birch in, I had to check him over and I found a thorn in his leg. So they took that thorn and they actually matched it to the thorns on the bushes by the cottage. You know, the one someone was hiding in.
1: Jesus Christ, this guy wasn't all, all just at the scene of the crime. He took the scene of the crime with him. Yeah. It's really absurd
0: this Which is the do. most
1: ineffective killer I think we've ever talked about
0: but again, the evidence and the and the way that they're handling it actually very good like that 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 thorn could be considered pretty, if not trace evidence, then pretty close to trace mm-hmm. evidence, and I also think it's funny that he still had it in his leg like two or three days after the murder. <laughs> I just never got it out. Like, what the hell?
1: Meh. I'll get to it eventually. Let it get right? infected and it'll just fall out on its own.
0: So, uh, he does testify in his own defense. He does He does pretty well. That, that doesn't generally go pretty well, but he does. He says, I just came out to see my platonic friend, who I have no feelings for at all. No siree, not a one. I love her. <laughs> so, I'm making that up. But... We all know it's true. Christmas comes as the trial is ongoing, as Birch's trial is going. Uh, Madeline gets a pile of presents, 107 presents, in fact, from well-wishers, admirers, and men who are still looking to get some county jail strange. Uh, She gets perfume flowers and a thousand dollar
1: bill. Damn. I'd, I'd like for that to be now. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: Birch tried to give her a present,
0: but he was reprimanded and then tossed into a less comfortable cell. And the male inmates had roast goose while the women had turkey for Christmas. They we this is we had this in the in the tiny uh the the duck, the roasted duck and stuffing for uh, the Thanksgiving meal a couple days before the execution and so, yeah, there's there's a lot of of good eating going on in the jails at that time. They ate a lot better than prisoners do now. So the trial is like it's a, it's a bit of a long one. It's like eight weeks or so. And in the in the closing argument. I'd like you to uh, pay attention to the prosecutor's closing argument and uh, who you think it's aimed at. When Kennedy was killed, Mrs. Obenchain had not only Kennedy's daily attendance upon her, but Birch and Obinchain also. She made a fool of the man she had sworn to love, honor, and obey. She made a corpse of the man she had professed to love. And she made a murderer of
1: Birch. Damn, that's that's powerful.
0: It is. It's really well constructed. And, I mean, let's face it. That's... <sighs> pretty accurate. I just can't believe It's pretty accurate. I just can't believe it's the prosecutor because it casts so much blame on a person who's not on trial right now. So, there are some shenanigans here. Absolutely. This is so stupid. The district attorney, a man named Woolwine, he actually communicated to one of the women on the jury that she had better Vote for conviction and threatened her life or safety in the communication. So she goes to the judge and she's like, um check out this bullshit. <laughs> and <laughs> then they voted uh, three days of deliberation and it's 11 to one against Birch. Guess who was the lone holdout? No, oh. The one whose life was threatened or safety. It was, it was like under... Penalty of safety or danger of safety, something like that. Um, Yeah, the one who was threatened by the DA, for God's sakes. So it's a mistrial, but they're going to go for it again. It's not the end of that. But as a side note, supposedly this whole fiasco affected how Woolwine handled the William Desmond Taylor investigation, which was happening simultaneously as this trial or in that same time span soon afterwards, he felt that because of this, he couldn't possibly charge Mary Miles Minter for the murder, even though he was sure it was her.
1: I like saying that. Mary's Miles Minter for the murder. Yeah, that three that, times fast.
0: I'm having flashbacks to how hard it was during the episode to actually like, get through that. <laughs> so, So yeah, it was interesting how that affected it because he was like... You know, if threatening someone's life doesn't get a man, you know, convicted of murder when there's a woman involved, I sure as hell can't, you know, charge this, this young starlet. So yeah, that happens. Then February, 1922, it's Madeline's turn. She's on trial and she gets a hung jury. Then after that, Ralph Obenchain finally heads back to Chicago, but he does leave her with a lawyer for her next one. Cause she's going to have another trial too. All paid up and ready to go because he will do literally anything for her. And it's he, and honestly, I think that when he walked out, he was like, I'm probably less than useless here. I'm a civil lawyer in another state. I'm, I'm probably hindering more than I'm helping. So I may as well leave. He was probably doing that for her sake as well, because everything he did was for her sake. That's just my guess. Uh, Then it's Birch's turn again and hung jury. (sighs) So then Madeline has another go. In her second trial, we get some real nice juicy drama. There is an inmate named Paul Roman who testifies the evening world calls him quote soldier of fortune adventurer extraordinary and literary dilettante who's in jail for burglary
1: once again literary dilettante yeah I'm sorry gay dude wrote that <laughs> so
0: he uh, he is in jail for burglary and he and Madeline start up a little correspondence and There's definitely some heavy flirtation going on. And apparently there was some in person too, but he testifies that she was just using him to come up with an alibi for the murder. So from her letters, I'm going to read this to you. I have a couple actually, my beloved, it is night again. I'm going to get real dramatic here, like real dramatic. Okay. (laughs) Just warning. (laughs) The night brings you close or sorry. The darkness brings you closer. Your nearness sometimes soothes and sometimes pains. My soul seems hungry for your touch, your strength, your protection. In all my dreams, I have never dared to let my lips touch yours. Why was I afraid? Your lips caress my brow, my hair, and linger tenderly on my throat. Yet your eyes always ask a question as I feel your lips about to touch mine. Why, I wonder, if I had not known you for eternities, I could not write this to you.
1: I'm sorry, I had way too much fun with that. <laughs> right now, right now, there's some, some creepy guy listening to this podcast thinking about you, Christy.
0: I know, and I hate it, but I'm, I'm going to do the next one. <laughs> Just because I, I feel like I'm, I've committed now. He's jacking <laughs> off with a
2: pair of stolen panties. Oh,
0: <laughs> I really, really missed my calling as a uh, phone but, sex line operator.
1: <laughs> stolen panties, but they're panties from the 1920s. Just the <laughs> theme with the podcast.
0: Yeah, well, there's a reason they listen, and it's not just my <laughs> sensual voice. Oh. <laughs> okay. Dow one nine
1: hundred. This podcast is two ninety nine a minute. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, this one is, uh, huh, okay. Tonight I have a little pale pink rose near me. The rose will be your soft, warm lips, dear Paul. Your nearness as I try to sleep seems like a caress. Nineteen
1: ninety nine a month on OnlyFans.
0: <laughs> All the times I've said, why are you obsessed with me having an OnlyFans? And I, apparently I'm probably going to have one in a couple of weeks. There you so. go of this. This so. podcast
1: is going to fucking take the hell off, let me tell you.
0: <laughs> fucking he writes, simps. He writes back, what you need is a lot of attention, and I'm the guy to give it to you. Uh, another letter of his ends, and this is where I got the whole uh, there was some physical contact thing. Or no, another, another of hers, actually. I'm sorry. I want to linger now, as I did the night the bars were between us. I am yours, Madeline. So, yeah, the bars were the night the bars were between us, there was definitely physical contact. Well, that's
1: BDSM and Pornhub. Yeah, you know what? I'm not going to lie, Christy. I
2: kind of want you to call me later and just read poetry to me in that voice.
0: Yes, finally. (laughs) Somebody wants me to read poetry, (laughs) but
2: only in that voice.
0: Only in that voice? That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So. Oh, that it's the highlight of my week. That's sad. I'm a drama
2: nerd. Okay. If, if me very creepily hitting on you is, is going to do it for you, then we're going to be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't that been an ongoing theme in our friendship, Amber? Hmm? Uh, and my friendship with most people, in fact. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Amber Paul kissed Rogan. my wife. I mean, come on.
2: <laughs> well, it, honestly, I've, I've kissed your lady more than once.
1: Yeah, at least twice that I know of. <laughs> <All> right, <good. laughs> I've only kissed Marcus four or five times. <laughs> and he
0: didn't like it.
1: No, he did not. Hey, get away from me.
0: <laughs> so, anyhow, Paul Roman is portrayed as the Judas Iscariot of California. The prisoners are against him. The public is against him. The crowd in the court is against him. They boo and hiss as this is read in court. And even as he's leaving court, he has to be assigned several guards because the crowds are going to rush him. Like, seriously, this is voodoo sex riot material.
2: Voodoo sex riot!
0: Riot! Sex riot! <laughs> so we have... Two days of deliberation for this one and another deadlocked jury. Nine to three for conviction. In total, I'm not going to go into all the trials because that would take a long time. But in total, there were five trials. Um, Madeline had two. Birch had three. And every single one was a hung jury. That is ridiculous.
1: whenever I read that
0: yep they both got off <laughs> scot-free
1: oh <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that was that as far as the actual crime and aftermath was concerned it kind of it it just kind of faded mostly from the public view as other things uh became you know grasped the public's attention I mean you had when all this was beginning, you see it in the newspapers, the Fatty Arbuckle trial was going on. And then, as I said, the William Desmond Taylor stuff was was also beginning to happen around the time of Birch's trial and, and Madeline's first one. And so, yeah, you had plenty of stuff to grip the public's imagination. So this really did just fade from view. Before I move on to the stuff that happened after like 1921, 22, whatever. Uh, do you guys have anything else from the, the the trials, crime, all that stuff?
1: Not a thing.
0: Not really. Okay. So, then we get kind of what happens to everybody afterwards. This is the part where the the camera follows the the, the main actors and 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 sees where they ended up. So, Kennedy's father uh, will show up in the papers in 1931 in relation to this case, but very, very tangential. He had a box of gold coins worth about $350 that he had intended to give to his son one day. He kept it on his desk. It was stolen. He did admit it was really dumb of me to keep it there. But every time I looked at it, I thought of
1: my son. So, yeah. You showed up before that, too. Uh, Early in 1927, Bert had john kennedy's father arrested i missed that yeah on a charge of assault and battery uh it seems that uh john d kennedy entered the building where birch worked and uh proceeded to choke the fuck out of him wow yeah um yeah it was uh, a sympathetic judge gave kennedy a suspended sentence of 30 days and the advice that if he should ever encounter Birch again, he should just go to the other side of the street.
0: Yeah, uh, that that sounds about right. I mean, yeah. the man lost his son. Uh, so it's it's strange that it happened so much later. You would expect that maybe to happen during the heat of the trial, during the frustration of all the hung juries, but like six years later, that's surprising. Yeah. So uh, Ralph Obenchain remarried in 1924 not to Madeline he had two daughters and a son in 1949 no sorry 1939 he died in Evanston Illinois he was the age of 49 when he passed and when he left Madeline after the first trial that was the last time he saw her they never crossed paths again uh, I did see on Find a Grave that two of his children have passed his son who was named after him in 2014 and his daughter in 2018. So very,
1: very recently his his children were still around. His last words were like, her pussy was like an angel's hand wrapped in velvet.
0: <laughs> oh, God. He might have grandchildren who are still around and might listen to this. Hi! And cringe. Oh, and grandpa. <laughs> and very angry, justifiably so. Letters.
1: Scott.mort 57 at gmail.com. Once again, not my email, but it'll make you feel better.
0: So, I feel so bad for whoever actually has that email. <laughs> it's, a different, it's, it's a different number every week. I'm just letting you know.
1: <laughs> so at least two people are going, why is everybody mad at me?
0: <laughs> so uh, Birch went on to become a fire department equipment salesman. Uh, And he married and divorced two more times. He died of a heart attack in Santa Monica. So real close to where he uh, might have ditched that gun at age 51. uh, Left his entire estate of $1,500 to Madeline. That's about $22,000 today. Keep in mind, he would have had a son who was in about his 20s or so. So uh, that's kind of a dick move. Madeline, she is really... She's a first-class drama queen, she really is. At first, she's like, "I'm going to go live in a leper colony." Like for real. She said she was going to do that.
1: I just imagine like all the lepers fucking following her, handing them her, her like, their disembodied dicks that have fallen off from leprosy. <laughs> do something with this for me.
0: Later, she pops up in the newspapers because she's going to give a recital at the county jail where I'm sure everybody will be like, yeah, bitch, you somehow managed to make it through all those trials and get off and we're still sitting here. Uh, I got some like duck or whatever we were eating yesterday to throw at ya." <laughs> so uh, she settled down in Eagle Rock, a neighborhood in Los Angeles went back to her maiden name, and died at the age of 70 in 1962. And that's all I have on their lives. Do you guys have anything else on the ending there?
2: I don't. I didn't find any, like, fun, horrible facts this time, and you guys have all the same sources as me.
1: Well, now, a few years later, she was back in the news after the whole settling in the bungalow at Eagle Rock. Uh, Paul Roman was an inmate who had been released from Folsom, he made kind of a nuisance for himself by hanging around her house and threatening to fucking kill her
0: after all the letters. And everything, he was the one who sent the, her the letters. Yeah. He, he was the one who changed the letters with. So then afterwards he, oh boy. Yeah, oh boy. I didn't was, know about that.
1: He was sent back to jail and her life quieted down again. Wow. Okay.
0: Okay. So I don't have anything else on those, but you guys know how much, okay. It, it, This was a lot, as as the listeners will hear in the sources, a lot of different newspapers poured through. And as I was pouring through them, I don't have ADD or ADHD unless I'm looking through old newspapers. And then it's shiny things everywhere. Every single headline is a shiny thing and I want to read it. And I managed to just reel it in. And I was like, no, you got to focus because there is a lot, a lot of material on this case and it's so much to dig through so I was like no focus 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 but then i saw this and i it's not related to the case at all i cannot save it for the next time we do old-timey newspapers i have to share it now do it so this is a whole story give it to me christy i'm not going to give you the title uh i'll give it to you the title and subtitle at the end okay The grown-up who attempts to scare children of the Hell's Kitchen district with stories of the boogeyman will have to hunt a less sophisticated audience if he expects to produce much impression. It was proved last night, when youngsters between 7 and 12 years old find, after nightfall, a human skeleton and proceed to frighten scores of their elders by making a plaything of it, winding up by upsetting a whole restaurant full of patrons, it is evident that the popularity of such poems as Little Orphan Annie can no longer depend on their realism. About a dozen youngsters found the bones carefully wired together, as for an excuse me, as for an anatomist use, in a vacant lot adjoining the College of Pharmacy. Trying a, <laughs> tying a rope to the skull, they dragged the skeleton about in Broadway for a while. Then deceived, no, sorry. Then devised a more elaborate entertainment by dressing it in various bits of borrowed clothing and placing it on stoops, then ringing doorbells. After half a dozen women had been frightened almost into hysterics in this way, the youngsters became bolder, and when the backs of the proprietor and waiters of the Harbor Inn restaurant were turned, they sneaked the dressed-up skeleton into the restaurant and seated it at a table. Then they sneaked out. There was something approaching a panic in the restaurant when a waiter went up to the table to take the supposed patron's order and discovered what it was. He let out a yell and made for the kitchen, not stopping to pick up the tips that bounced from his pocket as he ran. The head waiter lost his dignity when he, too, caught sight of the skeleton at the feast and summoned the manager with chattering teeth. Get that thing out of here, the manager ordered instantly, summoning an awed busboy. I'm afraid to touch it, sir, the boy replied. At least one of the waiters got up sufficient courage to grasp gingerly the chair on which the skeleton was seated, carry it to the door, and throw the whole thing across the sidewalk beyond the curb. The youngsters were. Christ. (laughs) The youngsters were about to retrieve the skeleton when patrolman Schnabel of the West 68th Street Station happened along. Schnabel called a patrol wagon and had the bones taken to the station house. The authorities at the College of Pharmacy denied ownership of the skeleton, and at last accounts, it was still awaiting a claimant.
1: Yeah. That's the second most disturbing thing I heard done with a skeleton all week.
0: The headline and subhead are, Real Skeleton at Table Causes Restaurant Panic. Westside children, not afraid of spooks, dress up their strange find and scare many grown-ups with gruesome pranks before cop arrests phones.
2: <laughs> that is amazing. And also something I would do as an adult.
1: Yeah. I want to help for you. now. We would help you. No two yes, ways about it.
2: Now I know what we need to do next Halloween, guys.
1: <laughs> I yeah. think this is too good to wait until Halloween.
2: Well, we it's, gotta prep, so we have a skeleton. I mean, um, we need to find a skeleton.
1: I know a doctor.
0: <laughs> They're gonna kill me and cannibalize me and then use my skeleton to kill people, aren't they? I'm not gonna Maybe. It. <laughs> so that is everything. Thank you for listening to the very unrelated anecdote. But when I found that, I was like, no, that one can't wait. I, I got to let this one loose now because I, I feel like I had been in such self-control at not looking at things that when I did find something that I could not not look at, I was like, OK, self-control has gone. I'm giving it to him now. So that is a taste. If you haven't heard or if you haven't subscribed to our Patreon of what you can get in some of the episodes where we just dig into old timey newspapers and find the most ridiculous, crazy stuff we can find. So yeah, that is that. So that is everything. Don't forget to come by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are old timey, crimey on all of those. And uh, I am on two other podcasts, detectives by the decade. And Short story, short podcast, you can find the links to those in our show notes as well, along with the sources and music from the episode. So, I think that's all my bullshit. I'm probably forgetting something. Oh, PayPal us if you want a shout out on the show. Oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com is the email address you can use for that. And so, yeah, what are we doing this weekend, guys? Um, Nothing. I'm still on
2: quarantine because we quarantine. we we were exposed. Uh, well, the kids were exposed, so we are literally doing nothing.
1: I am. Uh, I'm gonna see what happens with my toe. I'm gonna get groceries Saturday, but really, my foot has kind of put me down under. I uh, I cut my toe pretty badly. For those that don't know, and sliced the artery open. But right now, I'm just really pleased. I was telling the ladies before the show. Uh my wound is now in the shape of the Easter bunny. <laughs>
0: Yay, Easter. <laughs>
1: it's probably gonna take that fucking long to heal.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh I have an amazing, unbelievable new couch that I'm not going to get up off of all weekend is was my general plan. So oh my God, I saw the couch. It's yeah. it's amazing. It's an incredible I- couch. I can't wait for you guys to finally see it in person. It's going to be a long
2: while, but I'm very I know, it's going to be like next happen. year, the time I get to sit on it for the first time.
1: I think we're just going to have to buy our own.
0: Absolutely, you should. I highly recommend it. When we finally can, I can't wait for us to all pile onto the couch, and, and just its we'll just have a big, big cuddle puddle. That
1: sounds nice. <laughs>
2: we haven't had a cuddle puddle in the longest time, and I love cuddle puddles.
0: Yes, we absolutely need to have a cuddle puddle on my giant, giant, ridiculous couch. Norm-
1: is my is my wife allowed in the cuddle puddle? I kn- Fuck of yes! Course. Hell yeah! Good, you're you're in the cuddle puddle, baby. Woo! See that?
0: <laughs> that was adorable. <laughs> All right. Well, on that very cute note, uh, that has been our show for the week. Thank you, as always, for listening to our filthy words. We love putting them in your ears. <laughs> And I just creeped myself out. So we'll see you again next week. Bye. 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 My sources this week are Cecilia Rasmussen on LA Times, Mark Gribben on Malefactor's Register, Charles Highham, the book Murder in Hollywood, Solving a Silent Scream Mystery, and the Pensacola Journal, South Bend News Times, New York Tribune, New York Herald, Arizona Republican, Jamestown Weekly Alert, Washington Times, Great Falls Tribune, NC Seattle Star, via Library of Congress, as well as the Desert Sun and San Bernardino Sun. Just call all the newspapers Sun, why don't you, via California Digital Newspaper Collection.
1: My sources for this week are the Homestead Museum's YouTube video, The Mysterious Death of J. Belton Kennedy, chronic- uh, bleh, chroniclingamerica.loc.gov, a wonderful article from the Malefactor's Register, and strangeco.blogspot.com. Yes, this is the first week I don't have Wikipedia.
2: My sources this week are findagrave.com, thelatimes.com by Cecilia Rasmussen, chroniclingamerica.loc.gov, and malefactorregister.com. I feel like you screwed me up. But also, I feel like Christie should auction off things. Because like, holy shit.
1: I was <laughs> waiting for some special terms and conditions, may apply at the end of all that. Just rattled them right off. <laughs> Is a, oh, go ahead. No, I, 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 I think I burped. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I, I can't believe what he did. He dies in 1944 and leaves his entire estate to his lifelong friend, Madeline Obenchain. I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, I'm sorry. But how,
2: how many times was he married, though? So he couldn't have left it to any of his ex wives. Or his son, literally. I just said he had a
0: son. Yeah. <laughs> he had a direct descendant. Shit, I'm just going to make up stuff th- now.
1: His last words were, Steve, I need you to get rid of my porn collection. <laughs> Magazines. No, you- uh, there, there's some videos in there, some security footage I bought on the black market. Oh, fuck, Steve. There's snuff films in there. Oh, if Madeline sees the pictures I took of her feet while she was sleeping. Oh, fuck. <laughs> It's all in a box in the basement labeled animal porn. And before you ask, yes, there's animal porn in there. Oh, God. And there's but some pictures what? of you. Actually, they're part of a collection, but that doesn't matter now. You've okay, got to do wait. this for me, Steve. So I'm going
2: to in. Hold on. I just, real quick. I was actually watching something about animal porn earlier today and I was just curious if Scott had also watched the same thing and that's why he brought it up. I did
1: not. I'm just, I'm just (laughs) going off the top of my head here. Okay. (laughs) You've got to destroy my porn stash, Steve. I mean, fucking just wipe that shit from the face of the planet. Honest to God, the hentai alone, Steve, it's enough to get a man put away. Oh, Steve. Hentai is the Japanese word for pervert and that's what I am. Oh, fuck. That's what I am, Steve. Oh, shit. I'm a strong ejaculator, too, Steve. I remember I just got broke. I remember. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, I splurged like a fucking geyser every goddamn time. And I think part of the thrill...
0: Jesus Christ! always
1: seeing if I could get some of it God. in my mouth. But I, the first time was an accident, Steve. God. But then... I started to crave it. It was I like a drug God, to I'm me. Do the podcast. That's and that's from a guy who did a lot of coke. I snorted <laughs> coke off of crack whore's tits. But anyway, really, you need to really get rid of my porn collection. I cannot overstate the importance of wiping that shit off the face of the earth. Um, um what else? What else? Uh, there's some there's some cake in the fridge. You can have a slice of that. Uh. Oh
0: my God. <coughs> I'm just <laughs> I, about five minutes ago, started cracking another beer with the intention of it being a punctuation on the end of Scott's slow unraveling there. And never stopped, so I just cracked it right next to the microphone in the middle of all that. So that is what you heard was my soon-to-be-quick unraveling.
1: I'm going to chug this shit. I'm probably going to – I'll swear to God, I'm probably going to edit that out because –